When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. If you've ever heard a crowd chanting Kumite, then you've entered rarefied territory. You have found diehard fans of this 80s flick, which made the muscles from Brussels a bona fide movie star and also brought in the biggest box office haul for its distributor, Canon Films, for that year. Yes, that's the Canon Films, which is notorious for making some of the biggest budget B-movies of the decade. Some call it the best worst movie ever made, but like the Karate Kid before it, it made kids of the 80s think they could become martial arts masters themselves. So grab your passport, evade the CIA who are hot on your trail, and board that plane to Southeast Asia as Nicholas Pepin and I discuss Bloodsport from 1988 on this episode of the 80s Flip Flashback Podcast. The Kumate, the world's ultimate competition. The true story of a contest so deadly it must be held in total secrecy. Now, one American has come to this hidden location to win the toughest battle of hand-to-hand full-contact karate. Martial arts sensation Jean-Claude Van Damme fights to be world champion in Bloodsport Rated R. Starts fighting Hello movie viewers and movie lovers, my name is Tim Williams and welcome to the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. Here we talk about all the great and sometimes not so great movies from the 1980s. From blockbusters to cult classics to lesser known treasures we discovered on cable TV or the now defunct video rental stores from our childhood. No matter which 80s flick we choose for each episode, we have a lot of fun sharing memories, discussing our favorite scenes, and even learning some behind-the-scenes stories about the cast and crew along the way. If you haven't already, be sure to subscribe and follow 80s Flick Flashback on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever your favorite podcast platform is. And while you're there, leave us a stellar written review and a five-star rating. You can also support the show by following us on our social media pages. Just search for 80s Flick Flashback on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And go ahead and check out our website, 80sflickflashback.com, for more great 80s content. Now, let's jump right into this episode. Thanks for listening. Oh man, this this classic. Yeah. Um, yep. All right, here we go. All right, welcome in everybody. Thanks for tuning into to this episode of Eighties Flick Flashback Podcast. And boy, do we have a good one today. Are you part of that rarefied uh, breed who would shout Kumite in a crowd? Maybe, I mean, maybe not. Let's find out. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking about blood sport from nineteen eighty eight. I got my good friend, Mister Nicholas Pepin, back hot off the hot off of a previous recording of pop culture roulette his own podcast he's a part of so welcome to the show nicholas what's going on man oh man it's it's going good it's it's pretty cold up here in wisconsin right now so uh, (laughs) 
just trying to stay warm. So yeah, he's if you, you know you can't see because the podcast he's wrapped in his Grogu uh, fleece blanket. So, but uh, yeah, I mean you know I, I like to stay warm by watching uh, sweaty men fight uh, <laughs> other sweaty in a, men <laughs> in a, in, a, in a small ring for no apparent reason. Right. Um, right. Yeah, so this one this one's a fun one. So uh let's just let's just go for it. We got plenty to talk about. When oh, did yeah. you see Blood Sport for the very first time? All right. I had a friend in high school who was obsessed with, with Van Damme and Seagal and, and mm-hmm. that. so I know that him and I spent most Friday and or Saturday nights together. Right. And and I know that we rented just about everything that we could get a hold of. Mm-hmm. So I know I would have seen it then because there's no way we didn't rent Bloodsport. Right, right. Um, I don't. I didn't remember it for the life of me. I mean, there were <laughs> few. There were few scenes here and there when yep. they happened that I'm like, I feel like I remember this. Mm-hmm. But I, when we talked about it a couple months ago, um, I watched it because I found it on HBO Max, and mm-hmm. I was like, sure, I'll go ahead and watch it just in case we actually do it. And then, and then I watched it again, you know, last night to you know refresh my memory but yeah that that's a that's a film all right it's <laughs> yeah i i definitely saw this as a kid i did not see it at the theater um i and i honestly i don't remember if it was a vhs rental or if it was on cable but probably because it was rated r it was probably a vhs that like some friends of, you know, a group of friends of us, like as a sleepover or whatever. And one of the dads is like, yeah, I'll let you guys watch this. And, uh, and, or, or, you know, I, honestly thinking back, back on it, my dad was a big fan of like the Seagal movies. I mean, we'd see Stallone movies together. And, uh, you know, my, you know, my dad took me to plenty of R rated, you know, action movies. I saw action Jackson in the theater with my dad, which is crazy to think of now. Cause I was probably 11 or 12 when I saw that movie. Uh, uh, yeah, probably yeah, ten or eleven for sure. But anyway, so this might be one that like we rented and watched, you know, together on a weekend on a Saturday afternoon or something like that. So uh, I definitely remember seeing it. I don't think I watched it a whole lot because, like, like you're saying, it's like there's. I didn't remember that much of it when I rewatched it again, but I knew I had seen it. Like there's certain scenes, like oh, I I remember yeah. this. But it's not one of those that I saw so many times that it's like emblazoned in my memory. And, oh, yeah. I'll, and I'll honestly say, I don't think I've seen it all the way through since probably I was a kid. Like even when Van Damme was like the big, you know, action star of the 90s, it wasn't one that I went back. and was like, ooh, I really want to watch Bloodsport again. <laughs> no, like, like I said, definitely for certain we would have rented it. At, I mean, I, probably only once just because we... You know, we were burning through Van Damme and Seagal mm-hmm. and whoever else, the big stars of the, I mean, the, I mean, there was that whole industry where those two guys were turning out movies left and right. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And, and some of the other stars, I'm sure the names I'm forgetting of, you know. Yeah. I mean, of course, Stallone and Schwarzenegger were the, were the big ones. Yeah. And then you had Seagal, Van Damme. Wesley Snipes. Yeah. Well, at that time, yeah, because like late, like yeah. mid mid nineties, yeah, mid to late nineties, he was doing more action stuff. Um, that's kind of that's past the Charles Bronson and Chuck Norris eras. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and that was you know, of course, that was the heyday of the video, so stuff that went straight to video. So you probably had some Michael, oh, yeah. Michael Dudikoff and 
uh, some of those guys that were more like the Michael, B movie. Michael Bean. Yeah, Michael Bean. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a bunch of those guys that were that wanted they thought they could be John Claude Van Damme, but right, right. Yeah. You know, so so many ripoffs of Bloodsport. I'm sure I've watched. <laughs> look, look, Van Damme's made like two other movies that are almost identical but we'll get we'll get there when we get to his filmography so oh yeah he didn't he didn't stray too far too far away from this one for sure all right so you want to jump into story origin and pre-production sure let's go for it so i could have done a very deep dive into the because of course this is based on supposedly quote unquote mm-hmm. based on true story uh but this is kind of the broad strokes and if you want a deep dive, go for it. There's plenty on the internet, including a few interviews that he himself has done, as well as some interviews that the screenwriter has done, where both of their stories do not coincide with each other. <laughs> That's probably no, the best not, way to say it. Not even close. Yeah. Yeah. So so we'll get through this. And of course, if you've got some stuff you want to add, Nicholas, go for it. So Bloodsport is allegedly inspired by the real life exploits of martial artist Frank Dukes, which spelled is D-U-X. And I could have swore when you say that when you say Frank Dukes, I would have thought it was D-U-K-E-S, but it's not. It's D-U-X, which I would think would be Frank Ducks. But anyway, that's neither here well, nor there. They, I just think it's they funny. even have they even have that joke in the movie. Yeah. His story was originally told in a Black Belt magazine article, which chronicled claims that he, who also supposedly took part in covert missions in Southeast Asia for the CIA in the 1980s, that he infiltrated a secretive, no holds barred martial arts tournament known as the Kumite to take down the criminal organization that oversaw the fight. According to Dukes, he became the first American champion of the tournament which took place in cities around the world every five years and gathered the world's top fighters in a variety of styles to determine who reigned supreme. While the real-life Dukes claims the Kumite and his record are fact, some say his backstory about the Kumite and the CIA is completely fabricated. Even the black belt piece came with a warning. This is the quote. Although there is no convenient way to verify each and every detail connected with the story, the editors have verified enough of the basic facts to feel confident with publishing it. But since we are not at liberty to share the corroborating evidence with the public, we acknowledge that each reader may have a different idea of what the facts permit him to believe, unquote. Yeah. On May 1st, 1988, more than two months after Bloodsport hit theaters, the Los Angeles Times published an expose calling into question the majority of Dukes's claims. The movie was touted as a true story, but doubts arose quickly. Most martial arts enthusiasts view his accounts of competing in secret tournaments as complete fiction, along with his claims he was an undercover CIA operative. Some have pointed out that nobody else has come forward to confirm his story about competing in secret tournaments or told their own version. It is now generally accepted that the real Frank Dukes lied his way into Hollywood. Records obtained through the Freedom of Information Act show he was only in the U.S. Marine Corps Reserve and was never posted overseas, let alone to Southeast Asia, as he has claimed. The CIA has no record of his ever working with them, and his personal brand of martial arts is a complete fabrication, and Frank Dukes has likely never won or even competed in a single martial arts tournament. Yeah, you know, that, I read yeah. all that. I had some notes on that. It was, yeah. I mean... To the point where, like, he did serve, but like the level of serve that he said he did, mm-hmm. like, is borderline stolen valor, really. Yeah, I oh, mean, yeah, yeah. It, it is. 
It is crazy. It makes me wonder, like, if in 88 the internet existed, how far mm-hmm. this movie would have got. Because oh, Absolutely. Because, I mean, back in 80, well, I mean, if the movie came out in 88, they were filming in 86, 87. Oh, no, it sat on the shelf for a couple of years. So this probably wasn't even made. This was probably made in, like, 84, 85. Okay. So they really had no way of, of researching or validating anything. Mm-hmm. So it was just him going, yeah, I did it. And they were like, mm-hmm. oh, well, that's cool enough. Let's just, but yeah, that, that, that in the end of the movie, we're like, this is based off a true story. Mm-hmm. Like I, I read that like his fight record is impossible to yeah. verify. Yeah. The I only, read that too. I, yeah. I believe the comment I read was the only person who can, who claims it is him. Mm-hmm. Like it's like so many lies that you wonder if Frank Dukes is even his real name. I mean, right. Right. So the screenwriter, <laughs> Sheldon Littich first met Dukes when his agent needed help cutting down his unpublished Vietnam War novel, The Last Rainbow. Littich recalled in an interview that he and Ducks actually hit it off during the meeting. He later told the website AsianMoviePulse.com that Frank told him a lot of tall tales, most of which turned out to be BS. But his stories about participating in this so-called Kumite event sounded like a great idea for a movie. So, he even knew, like, there's probably no way any of this is factual, but it makes for a good story and it would make for a good movie. So, yeah, just tell me all the stuff you say is true. And sure, we'll we'll slap a based on a true story on there somewhere. I mean, I didn't try to debunk it, but I mean, I, I went to the Wikipedia page and I read it. and I was like, yep, I'm going to go. Ahead and do this. <laughs> I mean, no, I will. I will grant him one thing. Mm-hmm. If you did work for the CIA, the CIA is not exactly going to admit that yes, yeah. you worked for yeah. the CIA. Yeah. So, you know, them going, we've never heard of the guy, isn't necessarily proof that he didn't work for him. That's true. But at but, the same time, like, you know, they could all, I mean, they do confirm some things. So. Right. But if you really work for the CIA, aren't you like by obligation and like by contracts and, you know, provide sign all this stuff way that you would never discuss any of that and if Uh, and if you were and you did wouldn't they come after you for that i mean i i would think so i mean i would uh you know and i can't see any world where the cia would hire a guy to go fight in an illegal martial arts (laughs) tournament anyway right like like i feel like there's better ways of taking down uh you know some criminal masterminds than entering in a a fighting tournament yeah yeah (laughs) And then I think, like, I think it was interview with Ledich that I read. Um, he said, oh, I can't remember. It, it was something about where I think someone confronted him about, well, you know, don't you know that all this is fake? And he said, well, if you talk to Dukes, he believes it so much, it doesn't come across as he's telling lives. Like, I think he really in his own mind believes this really happened, even if it didn't, I think he called it like the Walter Mitty complex where he sees himself as the hero of his own story. Even if that story is mostly what he see, what he's made up in his mind, but there's some disconnect between what's reality and what's his own fictional embellishment of what happened. Yeah. According to Jean-Claude Van Damme, the shoot for blood sport was so intense and rigorous that he almost didn't measure up. The real-life Frank Dukes served as fight coordinator for the film and quickly determined that Van Damme was too out of shape for the role. What followed was an intense three-month workout regiment to build him up to the level required to film such a physical role. 
Van Dam would later remark that it is one of the hardest experiences of his career. Now, I was honestly not going to put this in the notes because it sounds just as fake as everything else. But supposedly, this is Van Dam's own account, even though there's like video, there's there's a couple of different interviews he's done where he even contradicts himself on some of the stuff involved with blood sports. So which once again goes into like how much of this is factual and how much of it is not. Because oh, I know Van Damme, I know this was like, it wasn't his first movie. It was his first big movie. I know right. he, had done a, he had done like one movie before it. And I can't remember what it was called. It was also a fighting movie. So I yep. have a feel like, I mean, that's what he's always been known as. Like even mm-hmm. now he's still, you know. So yep. I, can't, I can't imagine that anybody looked at him and went, that guy's not in shape. <laughs> right. Like I can't, yeah. I just, it seems weird, but it also seems if, if Frank Dukes was the fight coordinator and Van Damme, who is, who had been studying martial arts for most of his life, as we'll get to when we get to, when you start talking about cast, that Frank Dukes had to know some stuff. Like, it's not like he just completely, you know, is make, you know, completely making stuff up. Like he obviously had to have some kind of skills for Van Damme to let him train him. Is right. what I'm kind of getting well, at. You, every, if you're one of, I mean, I'm sure you have a friend or have had friends who are storytellers. Yeah. Who, who every time you have a story, they have another, they have another story or a story that's just a little better. Right. Right. In the story, there's always a kernel of truth in there somewhere. Mm-hmm. You just have to dig through all of that <laughs> stuff. Right, to right. find where that kernel of truth is. So clearly, Frank Dukes had some martial arts training, and yeah, or some some level of martial arts expertise mm-hmm, to mm-hmm. be able to sell the story. Because, like, I mean, if I walked up to you and was like, "Yep, no, I fought in an illegal uh, martial arts tournament," you'd look at me and go, "No, you did." <laughs> <laughs> you have to have some ability if you're going to say, "Yeah, no, I fought one." Mm-hmm. There, are people are going to look at you and go. All right, I can buy that. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah, I agree with that. So this was the first studio movie directed by Newt Arnold, who had previously directed two low-budget horror movies that no one's ever heard of called Hands of a Stranger that was made in the 60s and Bloodthirst, which was made in the 70s. Uh, but he's all known as a longtime assistant director. He had worked on critically acclaimed films such as The Godfather Part Two. The Jerk and Blade Runner. So he's been around decent filmmaking, but I will say, I think I did a little bit of research on his other two movies he directed. Both of those films barely got released. Like they were not like they were set on the shelf and these are like B movie horror, horror films. So yeah, that's, I did. I did look him up because I was like, yeah. that's a weird name. We seem to be doing movies with people with weird names yeah, as yeah. directors. <laughs> um, but his assistant directing or second unit directing yeah, movie yeah. list is mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, this guy's been on the set for some of the greatest movies ever made. Yeah. Yep. Apparently, when you let him direct his own movie, you end up with Bloodsport. But right, right, right. <laughs> when 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 he's working for somebody else, it, it's you know something mm-hmm. as amazing as the jerk. Right. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> for the Godfather Part Two, his cut definitely wasn't great because the original cut of the movie which was filmed mostly in Hong Kong, was so bad when it was completed that Canon Films, 
which once again put out all kinds of movies that probably should have never been released, sat on a shelf for almost two years. It might have never been released if Van Damme did not help the new editor that was hired by the studio to recut the film and then basically begged the producers to release it. They agreed to release the film internationally, first in Malaysia and France. And then if it made enough money, they would release it in the United States. I mean, it, it obviously has uh, quite the lasting impact. And I'm sure we'll get to what, what it did with <laughs> the society in general, with two major things anyway. Yeah. So uh, just real quick, the word kumite, did you find out what that, what that word actually means? Oh, I forgot. I did see it, but I didn't write it down. Okay, yeah. So it's a translation of the Japanese word kumite means free fighting or sparring. Kumite is one of the three main areas of traditional Japanese karate training, along with kata and kihan, which is form and fundamentals. So whether I butchered those, I don't I do not know. But yeah, so free fighting or sparring is basically what the word means. Pretty accurate of a name for the for the tournament. Yeah. Which once again goes to like, you know, even even if Frank Dukes never participated in this, he knew enough lingo. He knew enough, you know, words about he probably studied, you know, he obviously studied martial arts enough to know words and phrases and stuff that would make him seem like an expert. Well, and if they filmed this movie in, in like, you know, like you said, probably 84, 85, I mean, mm-hmm. that would have been right around the time that some of the first Karate Kid movies were coming out. So yeah. martial arts were still a relatively new concept in, in this country anyway. Yeah. And people knew, people knew words or knew karate. Right. Or, you know, you know, they had seen Kung Fu movies, but they yeah. didn't know yeah, yeah. all the the specifics. So mm-hmm. you could get away with making up a story and people would be like, oh, that sounds real to me. <laughs> exactly. And now these messages. <sighs> what seems to be the problem, pal? There's just so much pain in the world. So many issues. I don't think I can bear it. Well, friendo, it sounds like you could use a dose of pop culture roulette. Pop culture roulette? What's that? Some sort of pop culture themed podcast or something? That's right, sonny boy. When hope seems far, dive into some PCR. But I already get my entertainment news from Variety. Huh, that's pretty good. If you're a chucklehead, PCR gives you news you need, condensed, unfiltered, and raw, from three nerds who know a little something about something. Wow, okay, sign me up. That's the spirit. Pop Culture Roulette. New episodes every Monday, available on all major podcast directories. All right, well, let's jump into casting. So I'm not going to hit everybody. Not this is a, well, there's a lot of people in the movie, but not that are actual characters that you would know who they are. So we'll start with uh, Frank Dukes himself, Mr. Jean-Claude Van Damme. As we say, stated, the muscles from Brussels started martial arts at the age of 11. His father introduced him to martial arts when he saw his son was, quote unquote, physically weak. Uh, at the age of 12, Van Damme began his martial arts training at the National Center of Karate uh, in Belgium. Van Damme trained for four years and earned a spot on the Belgium karate team. He won the European Professional Karate Association's middleweight championship as a teenager and also beat the second best karate fighter in the world. His goal was to be number one, but got sidetracked when he left his hometown of Brussels. 
1976, at the age of 16, he started his martial arts fighting career. So then in 1981, he moved to Los Angeles. He took English classes while working odd jobs as a carpet layer, a pizza delivery man, a limo driver. And then thanks to Chuck Norris himself, he got a job as a bouncer at a nightclub. In 83, Norris gave Van Damme a small role in the movie Missing in Action, but it wasn't good enough to get anybody's attention. Then in 84, he got a role as a villain named Ivan in the low-budget movie No Retreat, No Surrender, which I'm sure is the one you were mentioning earlier. Yeah. Yeah. So shortly thereafter, while walking on the streets of L.A., Jean-Claude allegedly spotted one of the producers for Canon Pictures and showed some of his martial arts abilities. He then told the producer he was going to be the biggest martial arts star and that they should put him in a movie before he became too expensive to hire. One story is that the producer hired Van Damme on the spot and signed him up to star in Bloodsport. Frank Dukes, of course, counters that account, claiming that he got Van Damme the job after seeing him in No Retreat, No Surrender. Who's to say Jean-Claude can't even confirm or deny which story is correct? But his martial arts assets highlighted by his ability to deliver a kick to an opponent's head during a leaping 360 degree turn and his good looks led to starring roles in higher budgeted movies like Cyborg in 89, Lionheart in 90, Double Impact in 91 and Universal Soldier in 92. But in 1994, he scored with his biggest box office hit, Time Cop. Ah. Which is, which is probably my favorite Van Damme movie, honestly. Fun fact, if you didn't listen to our Pred- Predator episode back in the day, uh, Van Damme, was spo- he was supposed to have his big break as the title monster in Predator, but he ended up being fired from the movie because he complained about the original monster's suit restrictive nature and the film's lack of martial arts, which that whole, what they expected, the, the mon- th- that movie is its own Go back and yeah. listen to Predator. I'm not going to rehash the story, but uh, it the version that the version of the movie that Van Damme was a part of for the, the two weeks he was there on set was a very different movie than what it became. And, and I uh, think it's and I think it's better for it. Not yeah. that John Claude Van Damme isn't. Oh, well, I mean, let's face it; he's not really a, a good actor. He's he does some pretty fun movies, but yeah, but you know. I mean, plus he would have been buried in that suit, but I mean, yeah, like he said, wasn't. Yeah. Go back and listen to that episode. Yep. So uh, I thought this was interesting. Frank Dukes was originally supposed to be played by actor Michael Dudikoff, who previously appeared in canon films like American Ninja, Avenging Force, and Platoon Leader. What great film, film titles those are. The filmmakers apparently passed on Dudikoff because he was 6'2", and they thought that was too tall. Okay. Yeah, I just think that's one of the weirdest facts. It's like, yeah, you're too just, tall. We don't want you. I really have a hard time seeing anyone other than John Claude. I mean, yeah. I, you probably could have put just about anybody in the role, but like this movie is just such a, it's so John Claude. I mean, it's. Yeah. Well, he edited. I mean, he, he created the final cut of the movie pretty much. So it's going to be his movie. So yeah. Moving along to Donald Gibb as fellow American Ray Jackson. According to Frank Dukes, the character played by Donald Gibb was based on an ex-biker and jiu-jitsu practitioner named Richard Robinson, whoever that might be. But uh, Donald Gibb, of course, uh, had a roster spot on the San Diego Chargers prior to embarking on an acting career. With his brawn, bulk, scraggly beard and mustache, deep, growly voice and forceful screen presence, he was frequently cast as a scruffy biker, loudish redneck or an overaggressive macho athlete. 
He started out in movies in the early 80s with uncredited bit parts in Any Which Way You Can with Clint Eastwood in 80, Stripes with Bill Murray in 81, and Conan the Barbarian with Arnold Schwarzenegger in 1982. Of course, he achieved enduring cult fame as the outrageous ogre in Revenge of the Nerds in 84, reprising his role in the second and fourth sequels. He also returned as Ray Jackson in the Van Damless Bloodsport sequel, The Next Kumite, in 1996, making him the only member of the original cast to appear in both movies. Yeah, I'm not going to bother to hunt down uh, Bloodsport <laughs> 2, or 3, or, or, four. or, or 4. Yeah. <laughs> I, yeah. And I, I mean, honestly, movie, uh, yeah, honestly didn't know the sequels existed until I was looking up this stuff. I'm surprised, given how they did 80s movies, that they they didn't pump them out way faster. But yeah, well, 88. So by the time it kind of started to get any traction from like video and cable, yeah, but I it's mean, spilling when, over into the 90s. When he did Kickboxer, and then they pumped out like five more Kickbox. Oh, that's like, true. Yeah. Well, he was already he had already made a name for himself at that point, I guess. Yeah, that is true. Moving right along to Leah Ayers as Janice. Ayers' first major role was as Valerie Bryson on the daytime serial The Edge of Night in their early 80s. In 84, she starred in Velvet, an Aaron Spelling television movie opposite Sherry J. Wilson, Sherry Belafonte, and Mary Margaret Humes. In primetime, she co-starred as Linda Bowman on the abbreviated third season of ABC's 9 to 5, based on the movie. She also played Jill Schrader on HBO original comedy First and Ten in 86-87, which Donald Gibb also appeared in. She made guest appearances on such series as Hotel, The Love Boat, Fantasy Island, Married with Children, and Who's the Boss. In 95, she had a recurring role as Tara Flynn on three episodes of Walker, Texas Ranger. Yeah, she didn't really have much of a career in movies. She only had two other film credits, uh, which was a bit part in All That Jazz in 79 and a low-budget horror flick called The Burning in 1981. So, um, I mean, Based off of all the shows you just mentioned, I yeah. clearly have seen her a bunch. Right. Those are right. all shows that I watch <laughs> or right. have seen an episode or two of. Yeah. Them. Then we got Norman Burton as Agent Helmer. Uh, Burton graduated from the actor studio in New York. He appeared in such notable films as the towering Inferno in 73 and James Bond's diamonds are forever in 71. Uh, I thought that was interesting along with Roddy McDowell, Woodrow Parfrey and Eldon Burke. He was one of only four actors to appear in both planet of the apes in 1968 and planet of the apes in 1974. Burton played the hunt leader, the first ape to be seen by the audience in the 1968 Planet of the Apes. Now, I didn't realize there were two Planet of the Apes movies with the same title. From you know, one was in the 60s and one was in the 70s. I course, didn't know that either. Yeah, I don't know if I knew. Uh, I mean, I've, I've, I know that. Yeah, go ahead. I know that there's a ton of Planet of the Apes movies. Yeah, yeah. I mean, because I've got I've got the Charlton Heston one, the original one on mm-hmm. DVD down in the basement. Because that's the 74 I mean, one, I think. Uh, that one's cheesy as all get out, but it right. is a, it's a fun movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but then they did like Beneath and From and <laughs> Return. And right, right. Then they did a series. And... Yeah, like several years ago, like probably this was shortly after me and my wife got married. And this was right before, I think a little before the they did the remake. Tim Burton did the remake with uh, Wahlberg and... Uh, they would show like all they would run the movies like on a weekend, like they like one of the 
one of the cable channels or local, you know, UHF channels would run like all those Planet of the Eight movies. So, and at one time I was going to try to watch all of them, but there's like eight or 10 of them. There's like, oh, there's a bunch of them. I think. Yeah. Yeah. But I've only yeah, seen the original one. I've never seen any of the, all the way through anyway. I think I've only seen I, the original one. I mean, I know that we're way off topic here. Way the off three, topic. The three, the three that they made, the one that started with uh, James Franco and then, you know, okay. quickly, those three are really well done. Like, okay. I'd recommend all three of those if you haven't seen them. Okay. I mean, they get they get pretty crazy nutso, but they're really good. Mm-hmm. And I think technically they all take place before the Charlton Heston one. They actually are somehow maybe, written. Yeah. So like, so maybe like, those are the ones in the 60s, not the 70s. Yeah, or maybe, maybe they're the... Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, I mean, I, I'm just saying, like, they're, they're really well done. And the mm-hmm. graphics, obviously, being that they came out in, like, you know, 2015 2016 or you know whatever the first one was mm-hmm. you know maybe even a little before that like you know vastly superior to just the rubber mask that <laughs> roddy mcdowell would wear <laughs> right right moving right along uh the oscar winner of the cast who knew that this movie had an oscar winner in it but forrest whitaker as agent yeah. rollins whitaker made his film debut at the age of 21 in the hit team dramedy fast times at ridgemont high in 1982, where he played a football player. He went on to play another sports-oriented student, a wrestler, in his second film, Vision Quest, in 85. He gained experience on TV as well with featured spots on such varied shows as Different Strokes and Cagney and Lacey, not to mention the TV movie Civil War epic North and South Book One in 1985, as well as its sequel. His scene-stealing role in Martin Scorsese's The Color of Money in 1986 led to more visible roles in films like Oliver Stone's Vietnam War epic Platoon in 86, the action comedy Stakeout in 87 with Richard Dreyfuss, and a different kind of Vietnam War film Good Morning Vietnam in 1987 with Robin Williams. Whitaker finally got his breakout lead role with his portrayal of the tortured jazz icon Charlie Bird Parker in Clint Eastwood's passion project Bird in 1988, where Whitaker won the Cannes Film Festival Award for Best Actor and a Golden Globe nomination. Whitaker continued to work with a number of well-known directors throughout the 90s and even until now, winning an Academy Award in 2007 for his performance in The Last King of Scotland. He is one of those, like, generally speaking, you know, you know you're getting at least a quality performance. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. Not not necessarily a good movie, but you know he's right. going to be good. I mean, right. he's just, he's so good in pretty much everything he's ever mm-hmm. been in. I mean, there was a, a show that I was a big fan of called The Shield. Oh yeah, yeah. He had a he had a quick like he was in like one season, maybe mm-hmm. two season, you know. But he was he's just so good in everything. Oh yeah, he yeah. Does. Yeah. I mean, he was barely in this movie, but I mean, yeah. It was, and that's you know, and this is one of the things about it being filmed earlier and sitting on the shelf because this came out in '88, so he had already been in Platoon, he'd been in Color of Money, he'd been in Stakeout, he'd been in Good Morning Vietnam, so. For people to see him in this movie, we're like, man, why did you? How did you go from working with Scorsese to doing being a Van Damme movie? But he had made this before, uh, you know, anybody really knew who he was. So yeah, well, and they were probably lucky to get him when they did because very true. They either wouldn't have been able to afford him, or he would have been like, no, I'm not doing that. <laughs> right, right, <laughs> exactly. He's just trying to work back then. I'm sure. I mean, you know, he did. Uh, 
So, yeah, I mean, he did Fast Times in 82. So, and if he did Vision Quest in 85, so maybe this came right after Vision Quest. So he was still, still, yeah. still new enough where he wasn't really getting the roles that he really wanted. So he had to take the roles he could get, uh, as most struggling actors have to do. Yep. Absolutely. All right. So let's move on to the, uh, antagonist. Bolo Young as Chong Li. Uh, Bolo Young was born in China. He began his martial arts training at the age of 10. Growing up, he took an interest in bodybuilding because he's pretty buff. Uh, later, he became known as Chinese Hercules after becoming Mr. Hong Kong bodybuilding champion. He held the title for 10 years. Because of his impressively muscular physique, he was chosen for several bad guy movie roles with which his first big break came alongside the legendary Bruce Lee in the 1973 movie Enter the Dragon, where he played the role of Bolo. He and Bruce Lee became close friends. Uh, Since then, Bolo Young has appeared in countless martial arts movies, even teaming back up with Van Damme and Double Impact in 1991. He definitely looked like somebody I'd seen in other movies, which I probably had seen him in other like martial arts movies that came out after that, but... What I could not find online, and I meant to like deep dive into it, but I, I forgot. I want to know who dubbed his voice. There's a couple of instances in this movie of dubbed voices, yeah. And we'll get we'll get to that when we get to scenes. Okay, but yeah, there there's. I wondered that myself because I, yeah. I did I did Google that, but nothing popped up, so I yeah. didn't know. I didn't know if he do, if he if he if that was his actual voice or somebody dubbed it. Uh, I can't imagine that was his actual voice. I have to believe that they probably recorded him and then later on was like, nope, we've got to have somebody overdub it because it's just, it's so bad. It's so, so bad. Yeah. <laughs> so there were no stuntmen in this movie, which I thought was was great. I kind of could figure that from watching it. Uh, while it's predominantly made up of actors like Van Damme and Leah Ayers, the production wanted the Kumite to be as authentic as possible. So they hired real life martial artists to fight alongside Van Damme. For instance, Paulo Toka, who plays the Muay Thai fighter Paco is a real life Muay Thai champion. And one of the first Westerners to train in the martial art. Uh, so I, I think they mentioned another person that was in there, but you know, they get into some names that I'm not going to be able to pronounce. I just decided not to put it on there, but, but it was cool that he was actually fighting other real martial arts you know, fighters, not just stuntmen that you know how to take a punch. Yeah. No, I, I wonder how many times they accidentally hit each other because they weren't trained stuntmen. They were trained yeah. fighters. Yeah. <laughs> well, because there are a few shots and I'm like, okay, did he really hit him? And I, and once again, this goes back to, and I guess we'll talk about this more when we get, get going, but this is why it appealed, like for the age that I saw it, that's why it appealed to us because it looked more real than the old kung fu movies or even like a karate kid or you know something like that like it, it those fight sequences look like they were really fighting in some of those yeah. shots but I, there was one story where van damme really did hit one of the guys like with his elbow or something it was kind of a miscommunication because the guy thought the scene was over and forgot that there was one more hit from the take and he didn't move fast enough so van damme actually knocked him out 
like knocked him out cold in the take and they left it in the movie. That doesn't surprise me. That tracks. I'm sure there was lots of uh, bruises and lots of band-aids and ice on the side for stitches and ice on the side. So Yeah, probably. All right. Anybody else in the cast you wanted to talk about? No, you hit the three I wanted to talk about. So we keep talking about guys who are in Revenge of the Nerds. Eventually, we'll have to do that movie. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's on the list. It's a very long list, but it's on the list. And now, these messages. Comic books have been around for almost a century. And in the last two decades, we've finally gotten to see many of these characters brought to life in movies and on TV. On the Moving Panels podcast, we discuss movies and TV shows based on, inspired by, and adapted from the world of comic books. Join me and my guests as we discuss both the good and the bad from Marvel, DC, and even some of the lesser-known comic book companies. Learn what is and isn't from the comics, as well as our nerdy review of the movie or show. New episodes drop every Monday, and you can find us wherever you listen to podcasts. So join us for Moving Panels, and I'll see you on the other side of the page. All right, so let's 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 go for it. Iconic or favorite scene or both? What you got? Uh, it it it's really hard for me to find an iconic scene because I yeah. don't really. Yeah. There's, there's nothing. When I think Bloodsport, there's not like one scene that sticks out like there was in Better Off Dead or Lethal Weapon, right? Um, so I just had to write down scenes that I found interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, early in the movie, when the, the guy walks up to Van Damme and he's like, I need to take you to the captain. And Van Damme <laughs> skips out on him. Yeah. And then the captain's like, this is on you. Like that voice is so obviously dubbed. Right. Like, right. It doesn't, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Ma- it doesn't even match up with the, like the voice doesn't, that's the wrong voice coming out of what that guy <laughs> looks like. But it, it's so dubbed, like you can tell the lips and the voice are off. And it's yes. like, oh, yeah, yeah. oh my goodness. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That that was the first instance. I yeah, I forgot about that until you said it. You know, I think the the Chung Lee one is is more because it's at the end, it it was a little bit more uh stuck in my mind more. Yeah. Uh, and because you hadn't really talked up until that point. So it's like, oh, he's finally gonna speak and like, really, that's what you sound like? No, I don't think so. Yeah, I mean this this movie was was almost aggressively eighties. Yeah, like oh, I mean yeah, it, yeah. it. So many musical montage numbers. Oh just yeah, like, like the the training montage at the beginning with all the characters who maybe show back up in the movie. I, <laughs> <laughs> right. They never they never really give them names. They just they kind of maybe show up for one fight. Yeah, and then you know yeah. just whatever. Um, just, I mean, you had the, the fight montage with the one, the fight to survive, where the chorus was Kuma Te. Kuma. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, they played that did, song twice in the movie. Yeah. I did really like the brick scene, though, because that was just so ridiculous. Oh, yes, yes. Where, which is which is not, which is impossible, by the way, that there's, you know, Frank Dukes went around trying to prove that that, not that exact way, like you, it wasn't going to blow up the brick, but it was a move. Basically, it translates into the death touch. And what oh, it yeah. means is you put all your energy into a certain spot that so breaking the bricks like it won't hit the first brick, but you send energy to the brick underneath it to cause that to break, which means that you could hit a person so calculated and so direct that it would not leave an outside mark on their body, but it would could damage their internal organs, which has said it's been a myth, quote unquote, in 
Chinese literature and martial arts for, for centuries. Uh, but he used to go around and do quote, like I said, quote unquote demonstrations, but he used two bricks, but it would always split right down the middle. And of course people, you know, could, people could debunk that it was not, it was a trick basically he was doing that. It wasn't really broken uh, yeah. or that was already broken before he hit it the way that it fell. And because it was only one, you know, he could make it work with just the one brick and not multiple bricks, but yeah. Yeah. But that, that seems a little ridiculous. It was crazy. I don't, I'm like you, I don't have an iconic scene. Uh, there's a few like facial expressions that of course Van Damme makes in some of his slow motion uh, hits in the tournament scenes. Uh, to me, the movie doesn't, the movie is like hardly watchable until you get to the actual tournament. Like once they're in the fighting scenes, it becomes at that point, at least entertaining to watch the fight scenes. Yeah. Uh, but uh, I don't think I, I don't really have a favorite. I don't really have a favorite scene for this one. It's just, you know, the, the whole tournament part is, is fun to watch just the different, you know, fights and stuff. And like I said, the way it's edited where it looks more real, like they're really hitting each other more so than, you know, throwing punches and stuff like that. Um, I think made it, made it fun. Yeah. I mean, there was one, one scene that made me laugh that I caught this last time was a, uh, when the, the guy's like, no, the tournament has to go on. Like, he's like two minutes late. He's like, oh, no, no. And mm-hmm. the other guy comes up and he like shoves money in, in the shirt. Yeah. And then, and then John Claude walks in and he just reaches back, takes the money right back. <laughs> <laughs> oh, he's here. Never mind. Of course, the, uh, the final battle with him and Chung Lee. And Chung Lee puts the, I guess, the little powder pill or whatever in his belt. And then he blinds him. Like that whole scene. It's just, oh, gosh. The acting is so bad in this, and that, yeah. that that's what takes me out of it a lot. Where it's it's hard to have a favorite scene because like that could be an, that could have been a really like cool scene, but number one, it it goes on way too long of him being blinded, and then just his face of like, which I you know I'll give Van Damme some credit. He has some great facial expressions. He was he was trying his hardest to look like scared and nervous and all that at the same time, but it just came across comical yeah i mean and there was just so many like like he's talking to the reporter and then next thing they're like madly in love yeah Uh, that that whole storyline doesn't make any sense to me the one thing i wrote down is i love how the army guys like so you know forrest whitaker and the other guy that you mentioned are chasing him the whole movie they're Mm -hmm. running across boats they're trying to they've got giant tasers that are like the size of baseball bats yeah yeah the taser was great they they're they're chasing him around and then he's like i'll be at the airplane tomorrow and they just give up and go watch the tournament and they're yeah. like totally invested like rooting for him like <laughs> yeah yeah like wait what like yeah. what leap and lot like so i mean you know the cut that maybe is that, that we'll never get probably shouldn't you know maybe they explain that a little bit more or, you know but i don't know who knows I, this is not one of the movies that if they were to remake it, that I'd be like, no, how dare you? Mm-hmm. The originals, I'd be like, you might actually make it better. Like- <laughs> yeah. And I was, I was talking, me and uh, Laramie were talking about it over the weekend. And uh, I made the comment. I was like, what shocked me the most when I went back to watch it was that it came out in 1988. Of course, now knowing that it was filmed, you know, it sat on the shelf for a couple of years. 
but I'm like, it looks like a movie that was made in 78. Like it's so low quality. And even the story is so out of left field. And like, like I said, the, the uh, there's like gaping plot holes and, and, you know, maybe cutting it down could have caused that, but still you got to have, which makes it, what is the original cut? Like, I mean, if this is, if the recut is as bad, what was the original, like how dysfunctional was the original cut? Well, and you know, there's just such incredible leaps in logic of, of, you know, like, all right, so you come home and you find some kids that broke into your house mm-hmm. and your first thought isn't like, all right, I'm going to talk to your parents. Or I'm going to have you arrested or just chase right. you out. Right. Like, I'm going to now train this kid in martial arts. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and then they never, they never want, I had to look it up because they just, they're like all of a sudden, like the guy's son is dead. Right. Right. And then he's like, I will train for you. I will, you know, <laughs> uh, they never specifically say in the movie how he died. No, that not I could that I remember. Though. Yeah, not but that I, I remember. So yeah, I googled it, and it, they do say he died in like the last Kumite or a Kumite before. Like how you said, they do it like every five years or whatever. Yeah, yeah. So you know, he died in one, and then and then you know he trained and trained so that he could you know get his revenge and win it the next time. I get. I don't. <laughs> there, yeah. it's, it was more like a movie of just like little vignettes put together loosely tied mm-hmm. no no real overwhelming plot that made any yeah. sense but. yeah they tried yeah it's like there was some effort there but it just doesn't it, it, it doesn't connect as well as it should have but hey we're you know it did something right because here we are 40 years later talking about it. So, <laughs> well, I feel like this is the point where I'm going to, you know, talk about the two things and, and maybe I'm jump, jumping over where no. you're going to get to. Go ahead. Um, the first thing that I thought of when I saw this movie and I had to look it up was when did this movie come out compared to when did Mortal Kombat come out? Oh, yeah. Yep. Yep. And, and they immediately were like, oh, no, Mortal Kombat will straight up tell you they were inspired by Bloodsport. Yeah. Yeah. I like, read that they, too. They, they took their uh, they they saw that and went we can make a video game mm-hmm. and that's why John that's why Johnny Cage looks like John Claude Van Damme because they wanted John they wanted him to be in the game anyway mm-hmm. obviously for a video game you got to jazz it up a little bit make it oh a little yeah bit yeah more interesting than than that and so now you've got monsters and space you know <laughs> all sorts of crazy things that that game has gone on to be but um, and the other thing that I was reading that. Um, Obviously, MMA or Muay Thai and a lot of that stuff has been around for a long time. Right. But they said that Bloodsport really did a lot to kind of popularize MMA, yep. bring it to the forefront, like mm-hmm. really kind of like kind of like Karate Kid did for karate in this country, like yeah. Bloodsport did for MMA in this mm-hmm. country. Mm-hmm. Just not as obvious because, you know, one, one clearly has karate in the title. <laughs> but, right. But yeah, I read that too about there was some like, that you knew that it had made its mark when in one of the first like big MMA matches, they said, we, here we, we are, we've made it from blood sport to blue chips, like in that it had, they found a way to monetize, you know, this tournament style right. or whatever. So, and then I didn't really talk, talk about notes, but one of the reasons why we decided to do this movie, because originally I wasn't going to do this for the season was if you've seen the most recent season of Cobra Kai, they referenced blood sport, several times in the new season have you seen the new yep. season yet i did i did finally watch it all okay. and i really really enjoyed it yeah i have 
I have some some questions, uh, some <laughs> things that you know. I'm really I'm I mean I'm waiting for the next season, which they said they I guess. Well, Robbie told me they filmed them both like at the same time. I didn't know. So, that. so the other season they're just waiting on releasing because I feel like they're they kind of it's almost going to be like season four and season like part one and part two. Yeah. The way. Yeah. I mean, they might end up calling it season five, but they. The cliffhangers or kind of plot holes they left it on at the end. But yeah. No, I mean, obvious. I mean, it makes sense that this would be a movie that Johnny Lawrence would have like globbed <laughs> onto. You know, as I mean, it was right up his alley. Yeah. Because you know? I know they reference it a few times, just about to, but in, there's one scene in the, in the new season where they're at a drive in and like all the students are like watching Bloodsport, like the drive in or something like that. It's been like a couple of months since I, wa- I mean, yeah, it's yeah. been at least almost two months now since I watched it. So, um, but yeah, so when they when they kept referencing, I was like, "Oh man, Bloodsport! I got to go back and see that because I haven't seen it in so long." So, um, yeah, I'm I'm amazed because I I would love to know what a real millennial would think of watching Bloodsport if they watched it now. Like, would they be as into it as the Cobra Kai kids? I can't. I mean, I don't know. I mean, it's it's hard enough to get you know, people just a little younger than us to <laughs> to sit down and watch some of the eighties movies because they just, you know, they, I don't yeah. want to watch those old movies. Right. Right. But right. you know, it, it's, I can't, I don't know how, if you're not into eighties movies or willing to sit through uh, some cheese, like mm-hmm. blood sports, not for you. Like yeah. it's, I mean, it, it's a fun watch because of what it is, but if yeah. you're looking for, like Shawshank Redemption and you are barking <laughs> up the wrong tree. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's one of those things. Like if you, if like I would, I would probably show scenes of this movie to someone else, like some of the fighting scenes uh, at the end, but I definitely wouldn't make them sit through the whole thing. I don't think. And now these messages. What's up dudes. I'm Jerry D of totally rad Christmas, the podcast that talks all things Christmas in the eighties. Toys, movies, specials, music, books, fashion, and fads. If it was gnarly during Christmas in the 80s, he's got it covered. Wait, is there a lot of things to talk about for the 80s and Christmas? Well, you got the movie giants like Christmas Vacation, Scrooge, and A Christmas Story. There are TV specials like Muppet Family Christmas, Claymation Christmas Celebration, and a Garfield Christmas Special. Plus classics shown every year. You also jam out to Last Christmas, Do They Know It's Christmas, and Christmas in Hollis. But most of all, it was a time for the most bodacious, best-selling Christmas toys ever, like He-Man, G.I. Joe, Transformers, and Cabbage Patch Kids. Yes, them too. We cover them all, plus much more, including standard segments like Hap Hap Happiest Memory, Gag Me With The Spoon, The Other Half of the Battle, and Chant With The Littles. So tune in to Totally Rad Christmas everywhere you get your podcasts. Turn the clock back and dive into those warm and fuzzy memories. Later, dudes. All right, well, let's let's do some scenes and trivia or some trivia stuff before we uh, get into box office because I think we're kind of leaning in that direction of how we our overall thoughts. But <laughs> I only have the one more thing on my notes. Go um, for it. I counted the amount of splits that he did. Okay, I had that in my notes too, but you go ahead. Okay, all right. I counted four. Okay. Um, but there might have been four other ones. When he was doing those final spin kicks, yeah. I didn't know if I, I don't know if I could count those as splits because he did some sort of weird, like throw both his legs out 
Yeah. And he did a four of them there for no apparent reason that I could figure out. Yeah. Somebody had noted that he does his trademark splits a total of seven times in the movie. Okay. But, so you know, what you've got, you know, you've got the time where he's on the, he's like reading or meditating on the chairs and he's doing the split. Then you've got when he's tied to the tree. Like, does that yeah. count? So that's why I counted it as one. But yeah. 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 The tree scene that that's not quite iconic, but it's definitely an image that you don't want to stay in your head for too long. <laughs> I just, I mean, I, I, I figured, you know, he did it once. I mean, I remember the split scene more from time cop. Yes. Bloodsport. It was much better split scene but, for sure. I mean, clearly that's something that he figured out he could do and that he just tries to figure out a way to work it in every movie. Yeah, everything. <laughs> yep. I agree. Exactly. That is like his, you know, you know, and, and we won't talk about any Steven Seagal movies in the eighties flick flashback because he really I think 90, like 90 or 91 was the first one. I think I, I don't know. I'd have, I have to, to go that. back and look above the law was his first like his first movie, but anyway, um, but they all have their, you know, they all have their niche of what, you know, they, they do like Seagal is known for his fast hands. Like that's what, you know, he's not the kicks guy. It's he's really fast with his hands. And if you watch his movies, that's where they try to showcase is how fast he can like do those chops and blocking and stuff like that. Van Damme is all legs. Like he is, it's the splits. It's the, the leaping kicks. I love the scene where he kicks the guy behind him, like his leg goes straight up and it hits the guy that's over his shoulder, which I'm like, is that really even possible? Like, would you hit him with your toes? Like, how can you stretch like that? But it makes for a cool shot, whether it's real or not. It was just it, that 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 one that one kick I thought was pretty, pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. I mean, there's some crazy stuff in general. I mean. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we see I mean, you see stuff now that, of course, is. You know, they work martial arts stuff into so much action fighting action sequences now. Uh, I mean, even in the Marvel movies, there's there's kicks that like Black Widow does are like incredible. And of course, we're like, you know, then then you bring in like the Matrix when that first came out and how it worked martial arts into fight sequences is probably how Marvel picked up on it. But um, yeah, well, Matrix changed everything. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. We're not we're not going to go down that road. So anyway, here's some trivia. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> we'll get into this. So uh, I just thought this was funny. In the beginning, young Frank is wearing a San Francisco Giants hat and a New York Giants shirt. So the thought is he, whoever did the costuming was really a Giants fan, but also a sports mistake. Like they just like the, like I need stuff that says Giants on it. And they got two different teams with the Giants. Which yes, I, think is hilarious. I, I noted that. And then I just realized I forgot to bring it up on my notes. But yeah, I saw <laughs> I saw that and went. Somebody doesn't know what they're talking about. They just saw <laughs> they just saw Giants and went. Sure, that's the same. Right. Exactly. Exactly. Uh, I know you were talking about Mortal Kombat. So coincidentally, the ar- the arcade machine that Frank Dukes and Ray Jackson are going head to head with is a 1984 arcade fighting game that is developed by technos japan and published for data east under the title tyson karate do uh which literally translates into the competitive way of the empty hand pretty maiden edition hey every game's got to have a name right lost in translation but yeah that that scene was pretty funny too where they're playing the video game 
And then uh, the last little trivia thing is in the tournament scene, Jean-Claude Van Damme is seen trading kicks when fighting a guy in a gray karate suit with long hair. This fighter is veteran Hong Kong stunt performer and top-notch martial artist Yushu Wu. He was actually told to tone down his kicking skills to make Van Damme look better on screen. All right, well, let's jump into box office and uh, critical reception. Unless you've got any other trivia you want no, to talk about? No, I, I think we've, I think we've hit everything we can with this movie. <laughs> yeah. All right, so Bloodsport opened in North American theaters on February 26, nineteen eighty-eight, in only one hundred and twenty-three theaters. The low theater count brought in a measly six hundred and ninety-three thousand dollars, and put it nineteenth at the box office. It was beaten by other new releases. So Hairspray, which was a limited release in 79 theaters, made more money and put it at 16. A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon starring the late River Phoenix was number six. And Frantic starring Harrison Ford debuted at number two. The number one movie for the week was Good Morning Vietnam, which was a holdover from 87 because it came in around Christmas. We knew this wasn't a big box office movie anyway, but... Critical reception. Here we go. Rotten Tomatoes, 42% on the tomato meter and a 74% audience score. IMDb has it at 6.8 out of 10 with a 29 on Metacritic. I mean, normally I would agree with the audience on and things like this, but mm-hmm. I might I might go with the critics on Rotten Tomatoes on this one. Like it's, <laughs> I mean, 42. Well, yeah. maybe I'd go a little higher somewhere yeah. in between. The two. Uh, yeah. I'm, I I'm, mean, I, I'm with IMDb. I'm, the 6.8 is is pretty much where I, I ranked it for me on IMDb. Yeah, I mean, I probably if when I when I I mean, obviously, when you rank it yourself, you can't give it a a decimal. Right. I'm sure right. if I if I'm sure if I was to rate it on IMDb, I'd probably give it a six. Yeah. Six seems fair. That's where I, I mean, put it. As a six, it's so. not it's not the worst movie I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah. It's but, better than some other movies I have given a six to. I will say that. <laughs> But uh, it's not one that I'm gonna like, you know, put in my you know rotation of. I gotta watch this movie like once a year, once every couple of years. Like, right, right. It'll probably be another decade or two before I watch it, and then I'll be like, <laughs> Have I, when was the last time I saw Bloodsport? Right, and then you'll think of me and like, doggone it, Tim, why did you make me watch this movie again? <laughs> and watch it twice in the in a three month period. Yeah. yeah. But yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I have it in my collection. It came with. I I got it. I have a DVD of it. Cause it was in a Canon films collection that has, you know, uh, over the top and missing, missing in action. And like a bunch of the Canon films that Cobra, the other, other cheesy action movies that, you know, are probably sixes and sevens as well, but the movies that defined our childhood of the mid to late eighties. Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's not terrible. It could have been better. The acting is horrible. Uh, the production quality is poor, but like I said, it, if I can like having it and probably when I watched it again as a kid, if I had the VHS, I probably fast forwarded, through, which is probably I don't remember much of the beginning at all, but I remember the fight. So we probably just we would probably, you know, get a group of guys together and we'd, we'd fast forward to like the last 30 minutes and just watch like tournament stuff at the end. And that's probably Thanks. what I'd want to do with this again. That makes sense because that whole beginning is just the whole flashback scene is just nonsense. <laughs> it's just <laughs> yeah. I think I read that somebody said it was the longest flashback sequence 
in a movie up and I don't know if it's up into that point or I don't know if it, how 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 recent that article was, but I was like, yeah, I could see that. That is a pretty big, pretty long flashback sequence with them with one was it two montages in the flashback sequence. I there was like a montage every five minutes, so it's really <laughs> hard to remember. It was trying to it was trying to give it the Rocky Four effect, which is sixty percent music videos. You know what? I bet you. When when he edited it, mm-hmm. that's when the music montages got put in. They weren't filmed originally. That's, they, there's, that's very possible. They were probably like, how do we get everything? Let's just put it in a music montage. Let's hire some musical artist that we've never that has never really done anything and, <laughs> and have him make up a song that says Kumite a lot. Yeah. <laughs> I can't I didn't write down I didn't do much about the music because I didn't I didn't think we'd really go down that road, but um it was there was a guy who wrote two of the songs that's in the movie and i think he wrote a couple of other ones that they like several years later they create they created like a unofficial soundtrack and put those other songs in there as well he ran into van damme years later and something at a nightclub i don't remember the whole story but basically when van damme realized that he was the guy that had written the songs for the movie he told him he was like man your songs are better than the movie itself he's like <laughs> <laughs> which isn't really saying much then yeah yeah oh the other thing i didn't like i thought i was gonna mention it so the other two movies that are very similar to blood sport that van damme did we've mentioned kickboxer which came out shortly after that and then he did another movie called the quest which oh yeah which frank dukes actually sued him for the quest because supposedly they were supposed to make a another movie uh, about the Kumite or a different kind of Kumite that Van Damme backed out on. And then he made the quest like a year later and Duke tried to say that he basically stole the script and made a different movie, but he lost the lawsuit. I need to go back and watch Kickboxer now because I think when I think of Bloodsport, I think I think of Kickboxer. Like I get those two movies mixed up in my mind. I could see it. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen Kickboxer, so I'm probably doing the same thing. Yeah. I want to say The Quest. I remember me and my dad going to see in the theaters. Yeah, yeah. And remember not liking it. Yeah. <laughs> I saw that one on video shortly after college. Like, that one came out, I think, around the time. around That was, like, late 90s, I think, when that one came out, right? I, that's why I'm saying. Like, I want to say it didn't. Like, it was a good good while after Bloodsport. Yeah. But I yeah. want to say that, that me and my dad, maybe a couple of my friends went and saw it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. I think it was, I think it came out after Street Fighter when Van Damme did that. Yeah. Yeah. I think you're right. Where, you're right. where we were like, yeah, it's Van Damme. It's going to be awesome. And we mm-hmm. all left going, what was that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that I think was a, garbage. Yeah. I think a friend of mine had a copy of it and I was hanging out at his house. He's like, Oh, if you want to watch them, they just put something on. And I watched that and I was like, yeah, that was a bad choice, but it was it was it was a rehash and a not as well done rehash of Bloodsport and Kickboxer and all those put together anyway. So, anything else you want to add for this uh, this lovely episode about Bloodsport? <laughs> no, no, I think I think we've we've given it more press than it deserves. Yeah, this one this is one of those movies I file under. My memories of the movie are better than the movie itself, like. It it should stay in the nostalgic factor of like yeah. the memory the to hold on to the memories don't don't go back and actually watch it just well, yeah. remember the happy moments you had watching it as a kid. 
Well, my memories of hanging out with this one, my one particular friend in high school on the weekends, and I was renting all of the kind of movies, and like either watching them with my dad or my dad, like mm-hmm. in the in the next room over, kind of half watching it. Like, <laughs> you know, right. like I, I that's those were fun. That was great. We'd get a pizza, we'd watch some cheesy movies. Yeah. We'd, oh yeah. We we just we had fun. That I remember. I don't remember the content of a lot of the movies mm-hmm. that we watched i just know van damme was in a lot of them because he loved van damme yeah yeah <laughs> yeah exactly all right man what you got coming up with pop culture roulette got anything i know you guys just did the uh the advertising bracket yeah the advertising bracket which was uh which was really funny um i listened to that one that was the first time you guys had recorded all together in the same room for a while in a long time yeah because i mean you know, I, you know, it's more based on distance. Like it's a all close to a half hour drive for me to get up to, to his house. Oh, okay. And, and with gas prices being what they are right now, <laughs> it's just, well, that and not being able to record until later at night. Yeah. You know, um, so it was nice to be in the same room with him. And so that, I mean, that helped kind of play off. We're, we're going to take a break from the, the themed episodes for a little while. Okay. Like I wanted, I want to kind of do like one a month. So mm-hmm. I got to come up with one for March, uh, but I'm going out of town. So I'm doing an interview with uh, an author. By the time this comes out, I've already aired that episode. I'm doing a, an interview with a, with an author named Jessica Keller that I happen to know. Okay, cool. Um, so she, she writes stuff that does not fit in with what I uh, generally talk about. So <laughs> it'll be, it'll be an interesting conversation. I'm sure. Um, but uh, yeah, we're, I'm trying to do a lot more of the interview series um and yeah, then those have been good yeah. some themed episodes i'll have to get you on one of them eventually but just doing our normal thing just talking about whatever whatever pop culture comes into our heads and yeah and, whatever and, new whatever news breaks so right and these days the it's definitely getting more uh news heavy here than it has been the last two years so um yeah it seems the entertainment industry is getting back into full swing so there's a lot talk, seems to be a lot more to talk about these days yeah, now that the world's opening back up. So yeah, yeah. All right, man. Well, thanks so much for being a part of this episode, Nicholas. Always a blast to have you on. I'm sure we'll have you on. I know I got you down for another one here before too long. So okay, all right. Well, just let me know. <laughs> all right, all right. All right, everyone. Make sure that you uh, follow us on Facebook, Instagram, uh, Twitter. Make sure to like and subscribe to the podcast. Give us a nice five star rating. Tell two or three people that love 80s movies about the podcast help us uh, get more listens. And of course, check out Pop Culture Roulette if you haven't already with Nicholas and the guys uh, discussing everything there is to know about pop culture and everything there isn't. You don't really need to know about pop culture, (laughs) I guess. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you guys next time. Thanks again for listening to this episode of the 80s Flick Flashback Podcast. If you'd like to continue the conversation, we have a few ways for you to do just that. One way is to send us an email to movieviewspodcast at gmail.com. You can also leave us a voice message through the Anchor app. You can find the link to leave a voice message in our episode show notes. Hey, and while you're there, be sure to check out the episode show notes to find more fun facts and behind-the-scenes trivia we just weren't able to fit into today's episode. Well, that's all for now. Join us again next time for another 80s flick flashback.
You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.